Welcome to the Vandenack Weaver Legal Visionaries podcast, brought to you by Interactive Legal. Here's your host, Mary Vandenack. Welcome to today's episode of Legal Visionaries, a weekly podcast discussing updated legal news, as well as evolving methods of providing legal service. I'm Mary Vandenack, founder and CEO at Vandenack Weaver, LLC. I will be your host as we talk to experts from around the country about legal and tax issues, trust and estates, business succession, exit planning, legal technology, law practice management and leadership, and well-being. First of all, I want to thank our sponsors, Interactive Legal, Foster Group, Veterans Victory Housing and Business Centers, and Carson Private Client. Here's the message from Interactive Legal. Technology has become an essential part of our daily lives. However, not all fields have embraced technology. Lawyers, especially estate planning attorneys, need to stay up to date with specific laws and any issues affecting taxes and wealth preservation. Implementing an automated drafting system can help lawyers spend more time with their clients and less time doing back office tasks. Estate planners and law professionals turn to Interactive Legal as their main resource for the latest planning strategies. Interactive Legal provides the most comprehensive productivity system on the market with an easy-to-use document drafting system, extensive continuing education, thought-provoking discussion forums, and more. With Interactive Legal, attorneys get to spend more time with their clients. It's time to connect, collaborate, and create. To learn more about Interactive Legal, visit interactivelegal.com. Wealth planning focuses on liquidity management and charges you a fee based on a percentage of your assets. But entrepreneurs typically invest in their business, resulting in light liquidity. That requires a unique strategy. At Carson Private Client, we provide a proactive and holistic strategy for building and protecting your wealth. Our mission is to alleviate the stresses and the burdens of coordinating all of those financial strategies. Carson Private Client will work with your current team of advisors to customize a strategy that manages all aspects of your life and wealth, giving you back the time to focus on what matters most. Complex needs require sophisticated solutions. Reach out to our office at 402-779-8989 to schedule your consultation. Investment advisory services offered through CWM LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. On today's episode, my guest is Kim Capolano. Kim is one of the founding partners of Private Wealth Asset Management. She's been in the high-net-worth private bank business for 20-plus years. Majority of her career, she has been walking alongside high-net-worth clients, helping them plan and execute in line with their values and objectives. At Private Wealth, she is the Director of Philanthropic Services. She feels she has the best job working with individuals and families on ways they can impact lives through their philanthropy. I asked Kim to participate in this episode today to discuss philanthropy. Thanks for joining me today, Kim. Thanks, Mary, for having me. I'm extremely excited to be here, and I do still feel like I have the best job. So what type of trends are you seeing in our topic area today? Uh, I think it's always all over the news, but you see bigger and uh, wider trends in philanthropy. What I mean by bigger and wider is 
technology is going to continue to help and aid in the um, democracy of how we give today. And the other piece is you've noticed that with the wealthiest individuals out, out there, they've made a declaration that a majority, if not all of their wealth, is going to charitable interests. And so when I say bigger, that's the bigger component um, and the wider is the technology. The other piece I would say is the outcome focused. You've got donors now realizing that they need to be less restrictive on when they give to an organization because they want the outcomes and they want the flexibility for those organizations to actually get those results, which is quite different from many, many years ago when you see a lot of restricted funds that almost handcuff an organization to get the results or the outcomes that they need to get to impact the community. So I think those are two big trends. And then I will say that uh, philanthropy was down a little bit in 2022 compared to 2020 and 2021, but down is slightly, I mean, COVID really increased people's desire to give um, when we were going through such a challenging time. And so that was impressive to see that we still hold um, quite the generosity as uh, Americans here today. It's kind of a country of community, although sometimes politically you don't see that. But I think if you take politics off it, that we see that. I do want to just ask you a follow-up question on the technology. So how is technology making that change? Oh, yeah. I think we saw it with um, people got the GoFundMe pieces. So it's. I will also put a caveat out there that we have to be very careful about which technology we engage with, right? So you've got people that came out with GoFundMe. You've got people making sure that their websites are more user-friendly or how you can give is more appropriate and in line with how the, what I call the younger generation wants to give um, through their social platforms. So nonprofits continue to evolve with how they utilize social media, how you can give through social media. And then also I feel as a donor, you have to be careful about which platform you choose to give on to make sure that, unfortunately, we do have situations that aren't always appropriate in the sense that money doesn't go to where it needs to go. So make sure you vet the platforms uh, and uh, when you're giving. Um, and But it's a great opportunity. It's easy to do. And uh, I think most of the younger generation, they live on their phone, and that's how they want to be able to give and see the impact. Well, and I'd acknowledge that I today have a cause that I support and I've been like, oh, I'm going to write them a check or get them a... But then I got an email where I could click a button and I made a gift. I'm like, oh, finally got that check mark for the year, right? So what are some of the common, common giving strategies and vehicles? So I like to break it up into two categories, you know, giving while living. And then the other component, second one is giving and generating income. So when I think about giving while living, I think about your donor advised fund and your private foundations. First, your donor advice fund is an extremely flexible vehicle. Uh, you, uh, we don't give tax advice, but you recognize that gift in that year, especially is great to do in a high income year, is uh, to utilize the donor advice fund. When you think about the engaging the next generation, um, a nice flexible piece of the donor advice fund is it's your kids, your grandchildren, their kids, their grandchildren. So it just keeps going. Um, Private foundations uh, in this space, again, giving while living, come with some guardrails. Um, they are attractive. I tend to lean towards 10 million and above. I know some research will say 5 million and above, but you have to know that there's setup requirements. Uh, there's also how much you need to give per year. 
there's a lot more structure to a private foundation. And what I have found when working with families, it can be a great tool, but you have to make sure you know what the engagement's going to be with your family, future generations, and what we've also found by that third generation, a lot of times it dissolves. Uh, it doesn't make it through. So, so the kind of goal of using a private foundation is passing on really the philanthropy to family members. You can have them on board members. Well, with the donor advised fund, you can do that to some degree as well. The private foundation has some advantages, but it also has some disadvantages. I will have to mention one of the things that I do have written about and talked about is that I'm an advocate for the mini private foundation. And the reason is that I will remember when I first graduated from college and I didn't have very much money and I wrote what I considered a very small check to a charity. And I got a thank you note from the president who I'm sure was a personally handwritten thank you note. And I remember I gave you this little itsy bitsy amount and that changed my, you know, I've written a check to them every single year since then, because I just recall that thank you note when I gave this really small amount. And I know enough about the whole trying to raise capital that you try and get the big foundation, the big amounts first, but I think small givers become big givers. So I came up with a vehicle that I call the mini private foundation. So you have groups of people who have their little stock clubs. Yeah. And I've put together groups with the mini private foundation where people didn't have a whole lot of to give, but they could almost make it a social club and that you can do that. So I just throw that out there for thoughts. It's not always the greatest tax strategy, but it is a strategy that I've seen work and create some, you know, a social get together where you decide to fund charities. And there's actually now a group in the state of Nebraska, Women Investing in Nebraska, they call it, that accepts much smaller donations. And then there's others who give bigger donations, but engages everybody in the grant making process. So I just want to throw out there that I, I like to help small donors become bigger donors. But if you talked about, let's talk a little bit about funding these vehicles. So private foundation, donor advised fund, and I like the concept you did mention, the direct gift. So the direct gift is always the simplest, easiest. I just write a check and then I'm done with it. To the extent yeah. you want the involvement, you look at one of the other strategies. Yeah, I feel that we try to educate our clients also about the tax benefit. Um, again, engaging with a professional, but check is easy or cash, but really trying to utilize appreciating assets when you're funding um, these type of vehicles. Uh, they can also look at, when I think about the net worth of the individuals we work with, it might be private company stock, private equity, restricted, restricted stock, insurance assets. I mean, there's a lot of ways to fund um, your charitable giving. And so I think getting away from just the only way I can give is cash. Let's be thoughtful about, is that the best way to give? And does that um, have the most impact for what you're trying to do? So those are other things I like people to consider is uh, those other funding types. And so one of the things I like about both the donor advised fund and the private foundation is you might have a really huge income year. Yep. And so it's a good year from a tax perspective to make a big donation, but you want to be involved with respect to that donation over a period of time. So by doing one of those strategies allows you, if you do a private foundation, there's a certain amount you have to give out every year, but you don't have to do it all at once, but you've gotten the benefit of a donation. The appreciated assets works for either, except if it's closely held stock, the private foundation doesn't work, the donor advised fund does. Correct. 
So what's thing? What's one thing you would wish? You know, if you said this is what donors should avoid, what would that be? So I realize avoid is probably a strong term, but checkbook philanthropy can work. Uh, it also can be less strategic. And what I find is when we're having conversations with our clients that their intent isn't always to say yes, yes, and yes to everything they're asked. And so from my perspective, it's having the being equipped to have that conversation to be able to say no, but in a way that emphasizes how you plan to give in the future. So for example, you have somebody reach out, they want you to sponsor a table or something else. You say, I have found that our family is really passionate about child hunger or financial education for children. If you have a program in the future that involves those two things, please contact me. I I feel that a lot of our clients, um, it's not that they don't want to give. They want to start giving in a way that aligns with their passions, but they don't know how to have that conversation. So checkbook philanthropy, again, can work, but for a lot of our clients, we're trying to make sure that they're aligning their values and their passions with how they're giving. So I just want to take that and clarify it because that was the concept. So I'm a charter advisor in philanthropy and I hadn't really thought about it, but so the, I believe what you're saying when you talk about the checkbook approach is you write a little bit here, a little bit there, a little bit there, and that you don't really have a strategic plan for what you're doing. But if you have particular causes, you might have more impact by focusing on those causes rather than every cause that knocks yeah. at your door or makes a call to you. Is that? Yes, because you'll find a lot of times people look back and they'll realize, oh, I don't even know who I gave to or what the last year looked like. But I know that maybe four out of those eight causes are something I'm really passionate about. And did they really make the impact they want to make for their own family um, and their story? We are going to take a brief break from our episode for a word from one of our sponsors. If you had a dollar for every financial advisor that just wanted your money, your financial future would already be secure. At Foster Group, our team is different. One whose focus is on you and your dreams. Together, we'll create a strategy that helps you get there, wherever there is for you. Foster Group, your financial life truly cared for. Connect with us at fostergrp.com. Foster Group's written disclosure brochure, as set forth in Part 2A of Form ADV, discusses advisory services and fees, is available at www.fostergrp.com. Okay, let's continue our episode. So you have somebody considering a philanthropic strategy. What do you recommend that they think about before they use the strategy? Uh, I definitely recommend engaging with their wealth management team, their CPA. Uh, Attorneys come into play, obviously, depending on the vehicle that they want to utilize. I I believe each uh, professional has a different perspective. And so having your team at the table is very critical when you want to make sure that you execute based on your wishes. So as many conversations that need to be had prior to that to get to where you need to go, but please engage your team. And team together at the same time is what I like to see because it is always a challenge when you talk to one advisor and say, oh, hey, Mary said this, oh, Kim said this. If we're all at the table at the same time, those perspectives can get together and really evolve into a good strategy. When you talk about like what your role is and you're working with an individual or family, what does that look like? You know, we enjoy walking alongside our clients through this process. So when I 
I want to just give an example. We had a client in the Midwest, net worth 50 to 60 million, um, a lot of real estate, uh, and I'd even say farmland was a big component of it. 20 million liquidity. She's got two sons. She wanted to walk through what are all of her options. And we talked about, well, what are your two sons like? Where do they live? Are they married? Do they have children? Uh, Do they have the same passions? Um, Are they going to feel the same about whatever they want to support? And it was very much, no, they don't align with their passions. They have separate giving. And so we walked her through, hey, here are the types of vehicles, similar to what we talked about earlier, the donor advised fund, private foundation. Uh, And she was even looking at her community foundation uh, in Iowa. Long story short, donor advised fund was the best for her. It was in her family. It was the most flexible. It provided an avenue for both her sons to have a voice after something would happen to her and her husband. It also provided something for her grandchildren because she could separate out, you know, 50-50 or however she wanted to lay that out. So it was a, a great tool. But I call it a conversation and walking alongside our clients to just help them figure out what they're looking to do and accomplish. And I do always think it's important to point out with the donor advised funds, although most of the funds you do get to continue and they do listen to you, there are some cases where you might ask for something. You have given those funds away. And I think the Fidelity case, I believe it came out of California, was one of those. So I just always mention that and say, you know, it usually works, but you just have to be aware that you can't do anything and everything and you aren't totally in charge. You're right. You've got to review that paperwork. So sometimes it can also end after the second generation and people don't know that. And so where is the flexibility lie? And they need to know that. So know exactly what the terms and conditions of the donor advised fund you're going into. And that's where I assume having you on the team helps them because otherwise they might not know that. So let's talk a little bit further just about how do you bring philanthropy to life? Somebody's interested, wants to bring it to life. How do they do that? So... I call there's a little bit of homework with the family and the individual. So I break that into three pieces, which is making the plan. Second piece is roles and activities. And the third piece is bringing philanthropy to life. So going back to the first part of making a plan, uh, a little bit of the individual homework is what are your values? And so putting that down on paper, the family exercise is bringing everyone together and saying, do your your values align as a family? Um, And then narrowing the focus after you've identified those values as an individual and then as a family. And then you start to formulate what I call the family's mission statement and then set a goal and budget for that. The second piece is understanding those roles and activities. Uh, who Who will participate? How often? How will we make decisions? Uh, how often will we meet? And then knowing that each family member has a role. And I, I like these roles because it's like you have people that are good at organizing or researching or um, they're networkers or they're decision makers or visionaries. And so knowing where your family fits in that process. And the f- third component when you talk about bringing philanthropy to life is, you know, if when you host that family meeting, prepare an agenda, do something fun together, whether that's a book club and you share what you learned through that book. It's a cause you've supported and you go visit that site, you volunteer together, but have that meeting, dedicate that time and investment to it, and then also spend time connecting with your family and doing something fun that brings that philanthropy to life. And the next question I was going to ask is when and how you get your children involved, but you've talked about the little of that in the context of having a family meeting, and it might be depend, but one of the things that I... I learned from another advisor at one point 
was to talk to your clients about involving children earlier, even if you're only giving them a hundred bucks that they're in charge of and bring them to the table and they can ask, I want this to go to charity X, but they need to review the financials and present on that organization. That's one of the things I've seen in terms of the how, but I want to ask you the the when and any additional hows. Yeah. So I like that perspective. So I break it into three categories when it comes to getting your children involved. I have a six, three and two or uh, six month old twins. So I, this is very important to me is how do I teach my children what it looks like? And so I, I group it into three categories, toddlers and preschool, school age kids. And then the third category, high school and college age kids. Think about your toddlers. Let them see you involved in the community. Let them see you attend meetings, volunteer. Second piece is, and I see this with my own daughter who's six, She's growing out of her clothes, her books, her toys. She loves to donate. I've made it exciting. What does that look like? Um, okay, honey, you know, some other young child is going to benefit from this. You remember how excited you were. The other piece I saw from one of my coworkers is their birthday parties. The only gifts that are allowed is the child picks a charity and the gifts are given to that charity, whether it be gloves or a jacket or hats or diapers. Uh, the next component you think about the school age kids, similar to what you're talking about, which is, you know, spend some, save some and share some. So get those buckets. Right. And teaching them how to, you know, share some of the money that they've accumulated through their allowance. And then you get into the high school age kids and college kids. It's getting them to volunteer and then establish a giving a t- account similar to what you just said. You've got one hundred dollars in this account. What does it look like? Who are you going to give to? And I would just say at every stage, have them share their experience on how they felt and remind them um, about that feeling as they continue throughout life uh, to, to give them that nice reminder that giving and helping others is a critical piece to uh, being kind. So, and I want to ask a question too. So you're actually with a wealth advisory firm, but the firm holds itself out as being a bit of a family office. And rather than, I'm not asking for a commercial on the firm, rather than more a question for listeners who might have an interest in philanthropy, and say it sounds like you really can walk alongside and help somebody find that path, but I wouldn't necessarily think of a family, you know, a wealth advisory firm as who I would call for assistance with that. So if somebody's interested in this and they're like, you know, I'm really interested in philanthropy, I want to learn more about it. And we talked about this, how to really sort of make that happen. And you gave a really great breakdown of the steps to do that. Like, why would somebody find you? Well, a lot of times it's um, how we work with our clients today. So many times it turns into a referral, right? So we we walk them through this process because I'd say 90% of our clients are philanthropic and um when you think about the type of philanthropy that they want to give, um, this process can be interactive. It's a great experience. It engages their children. And then that they tell their friends about it uh, who are also philanthropic, and it leads to that opportunity. That's typically how we're found is word of mouth on having those conversations. Um, so if somebody is interested in pursuing a path that involves more philanthropy, they should ask others who are doing something to look for a referral. I think a lot of times the family office, when you think about the net worth we're work, working with, they do that naturally, right? They're at a, an event, they're having a glass of wine. Who are you talking to? What are you doing? Um, and that's how it comes about. Um, you're right. If 
we generally don't go out and market a commercial or something like that. Um, we also keep our amount of clients that we work with is generally a little bit smaller than your typical advisor. Uh, again, to be able to provide all of these experiences in a family office, um, you have to keep the scope and the amount of individuals and families you work with um, a little bit smaller than the typical few hundred individuals and families. So do you have a last piece of advice for our listeners? Yeah, I'd say start having conversations now, right? Your kids are never too young. Uh, Have those conversations, get them involved. And then the key component that I'll continue to stress, engage your professionals and your team alongside you. I think that there's a lot of value there. Um, You'll see it when they collaborate and they'll help you make great decisions. And that leads to education and great advice lead to sustainability. And I know as somebody who does work with a lot of clients who engage in philanthropy, it's an amazingly rewarding thing to do. Well, I want to thank you for joining me today. As we reach the end of our episode, I want to thank our sponsors, Interactive Legal, Foster Group, Veterans Victory and Housing Centers, and Carson Private Client. That's all for now. Thanks for listening to today's episode and stay tuned for our weekly releases. Vandenack Weaver Legal Visionaries is made available by the firm and its attorneys for educational purposes and to provide general information, not to provide specific legal advice. Use of the Vandenack Weaver Legal Visionaries podcast does not create an attorney-client relationship between you and the firm or any of its attorneys. The Vandenack Weaver Legal Visionaries podcast should not be used as a substitute for competent legal advice, and you should contact an attorney in your state about any legal needs or questions you may have. A Huda Media Production.